Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, Father, Son, Duet, wonderful blend and great, uh, great lyrics, I think written by Ron Hamilton. As he came out of the doctor's office in surgery, found out he lost an eye. Uh, and so today, however, that man is rejoicing, clear vision in heaven. And we're thankful for the truth of that song. When I'm tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. No doubt, no doubt some of you this morning are being tried and purified at the hand of God. Just know this, he knows what he's doing and he is always working for your best and his glory. It's good to see you all this morning. If you have a Bible, trust you do. Let's go to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. We have been on a journey with Jacob, especially uh, the man who in many, many places and ways erected memorials to the goodness of God in his life. Uh, And so today we're going to pretty much wrap up with two more of his memorials that he... uh, that he put up to remind himself and his family of the goodness, and they're instructive to us in our lives. I hope you have places, and even not just physical places, but spiritual landmarks in your life that you go to often and are reminded of God's great grace to you. Uh, he is a gracious God, and God wants us to remember well. As you're looking at Genesis chapter 35, we are coming to the end, really, of of uh, the, the time in which Rachel, his, one of his wives, is uh, coming to the end of her life. And we'll see him as, as he records, the Bible records him placing a grave marker over, uh, over, her, uh, over her grave as a memorial to her life. It's the first recorded um, grave marker in all of the Old Testament. It's interesting, really. Let's read the story together. You follow along as I read Genesis 35, and we'll read the first 20 verses to set the context this morning. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God. You will recall, of course, that Bethel's the place where he left the land of Canaan and on his journey northward to Haran, 500 miles north to find a wife. He, he was recalling, God was bringing him back, bringing him back to Bethel. That appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean. Change your garments, and let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. God made a promise to him, reestablished the covenant of Abraham to him there, promised to be with him. And it was a distressful day for him, as Esau had promised to take his life, his brother. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods, his family now we're speaking of, that were in their hand, and all the earrings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, the terebinth tree, which was at Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, or Bethel, the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, his great family, and all their uh, the entourage, their servants and so forth, came to Bethel. And there he built an altar and called it El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him 
when he fled from the face of his brother. Deborah, Rebecca, of course, is his mother. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel underneath an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bakuth, or the, or the tree of weeping. God appeared unto Jacob again and came out of Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Here we see again God's covenant established with him, the second-born twin. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel. The one who strives with God, prince with God, shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land to which I gave Abraham, Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Love that verse. I've underlined it in my Bible. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he talked with him, Jacob being the builder of memorials and even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. He poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, again, the house of God, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And we know that that area is the area, of course, of Bethlehem, where Christ was born later. And Rachel travailed in childbirth. She had hard labor, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. She had another boy by the name of Joseph. It came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoi. But his father called him Benjamin. She called him son of my sorrows, but her husband called him the son of my right hand. And Rachel died and was buried in the, on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar, again the first mention of such a thing, upon her grave. He loved her dearly. And that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Well, we talked about biblical memorials. And we've reminded you what a memorial is. It's a marker, often physical, often a marker, a statue perhaps of an important event, person, place, or thing, an occurrence. And we're taking the month of May to look at biblical memorials, significant memorials in the Bible. So far, we've hitched our wagon to Jacob. <laughs> what, a, what a person he is. What a character. We've reminded you often that in Psalm 47, uh, the Lord has said that he has taken Jacob and called him, the God of Jacob is thy refuge. And we wondered as we started our series why in the world would God associate himself with such a man? Remember the story early on? Jacob, the second-born twin. Rebekah was born grabbing the heel of his brother as if to say, I want what's yours. I want, I want to be first. Ever met anybody like that? I want to be me first. It was a characteristic of his life. He was a bit of a rascal, a conniver, always trying to put himself first well, we know that uh, as we've studied his story, that as he grew up and grew older in that household, there was this deception of his brother, the stealing of his brother's birthright and first place. And so his daddy, of course, conferred upon him in deception, being tricked uh, by his son Jacob. He conferred upon him Esau's 
uh, place of blessing and his birthright. And so, once Esau heard about that, you know what happened, right? He wasn't happy about it, promised to kill his brother. And so, uh, there we see him as he leaves the home. And we talked about really the first memorial, uh, the first really uh, stone rem- would you all just advance that for us just a little bit? For some reason, I'm not getting this to work. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just the nature. that. There we go. One more, please. We looked a little bit about where they, thank you guys, where they traveled, where Jacob traveled. And you see there on, on, uh, on your right a little bit of a map. The two brothers ended up living in two different areas and establishing their families. Jacob really to the north and a little bit west of Edom where Esau is from, or developed his family tree a little bit south, and there was bad blood between them. So as we mentioned, there was this leaving of the household when Jacob was 78. (laughs) His mother kicked him out of the house and said, it's time for you to get married. And so there he took off, afraid. Of course, the the idea of going up to uh, the home place where his mother was from in Haran, Uncle Laban's place, was basically to go find a wife. He was running for his life as well as looking for a wife up there. And on his way out of town, he stopped, first of all, at Bethel. You see it there on the map. It's not far from Beersheba where he was living with his father and mother. And off he went to Bethel. And when he stopped there, remember what happened in Bethel? Just by way of review a little bit this morning. There, there was a staircase. Remember, he was so tired and afraid, and he slept on a pillow of stone. And that night, there was this staircase to heaven. He had a vision, a heaven-sent vision, and there he saw angels ascending and descending. And the covenant was established 27 years earlier than in our context today. And there he met the Lord, and the Lord reminded him that through you, not Esau, but through you, Jacob, even though you're second-born and absconded the blessing in in your own way, I still have decided to confer upon you Abraham's blessings. This is all by way of review in history, but he woke up and he said, scratched his head and said, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. One of my favorite verses in the narrative of Jacob, a terrible time for his life, running for his life, scared, unsure of his future, he saw this vision and he woke up and said, God is here and I didn't even know it. Some of you are in a dark place, an unhappy place. But there we found at the first memorial that God was overruling. Constructive memorials. He raises a memorial then and calls the place the house of God, formerly called Luz. He calls it Bethel, the house of God. Because there God conferred upon him all these blessings. We found out a wonderful truth at that memorial that God is overruling. He came from a toxic home. Appreciated Marcus's testimony this morning. We didn't all grow up in perfect homes. In fact, raise your hand if your home was perfect. (laughs) Nobody. But there, in spite of the favoritism that his parents showed on Esau and Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah had their fights. They had their favorite sons. And he grew up in this place where there was this anger and fighting and destructive and toxic spirit. And, and he himself was a part of the deception. And 
And we talked about that even last week. And yet in spite of that, God overrules. Aren't you glad that at this memorial, Bethel, we can touch that stone and be reminded, at least with our spiritual eyes, that there's a God who takes the mess of our lives and somehow weaves a tapestry of grace. All of us can point, I suppose, to things in our lives that we didn't appreciate or even things that are happening now and think, certainly, God, you've forgotten. But God is somehow this, this wonderful architect, this master musician, this wonderful artist that can take the ugly colors of our lives and somehow bring them to an overruling testimony of His grace. So there, at Bethel, God is in this place, and I didn't know it. Here I am running, afraid of my life. So after, after He leaves there, He spends 20 years, 20 years, 500 miles to the north, in a place called Haran, where Uncle Laban and his mother's family are from. Some of you who have been around church and read your Bible and Old Testament a lot, you know the story of what happened there. We've been there. We've been there, and again, his troubles followed him. We <laughs> talked about how you can run, but you can't hide. He got up there thinking it's a new start, a fresh place. And yet he found out some of the same characteristics that tripped him up at home followed him. And he was always in trouble with Laban, and they were always fighting one another. They were they were two shysters living in the, on the same ranch, always trying to one-up one another. Even in the marriage ceremony, who he thought he was marrying, Rachel ended up with Leah. And I, you just see there's just trouble throughout the 20 years that he's there. And in those 20 years, there was this common theme in his tent with his two wives, Rachel and Leah. Your dad has changed my wages 10 times. I am sick and tired of it. I'm tired of the fighting. I want to leave. And so finally, at the prompting of God, he leaves. And 300 miles south, he stops. He leaves when his uncle, Laban, doesn't even know he's leaving. What a way to leave after 20 years. And so they catch up with one another. And Uncle Laban is not happy with his son-in-law at all. And there we see the second memorial, and it tells us that it teaches us that God oversees. We find that story in Genesis 31 as they stop together and they have this meeting that's very tense. It's uncomfortable, unwieldy. <laughs> and after the meeting, as they discuss with anger in their hearts, right, about you're taking my girls and you're taking all my livestock, and you're taking my gods. He had little figurines, little godlets that he worshipped. Jacob didn't know this, but Rachel was the one that stole them from daddy, and she was hiding them in her tent. And there was this big brouhaha about you're leaving, and you're taking, you didn't even say goodbye. And here they are at Mount Gilead. And so they have this time where there's some sort of a an understanding established, and Jacob builds a second altar, or at least a stone memorial there, and he reminds, uh, he reminds his uncle, and they remind each other that God will watch over us. Mizpah, they call it. God, the watchtower. God 
May God be the judge. We can't figure this out, but God is overruling and we're going to make a decision that we're not going to hurt one another anymore. Maybe in your family you need to have one of those ceremonies. It's been tough, but you, by God's grace, will make a decision that you're not going to be the one. You're not going to be the one that continues to add fuel to the fire. And may God be our witness and may God be our judge. As much as lies within me, I'm going to just let God take care of these offenses because I can't figure it out, but God, the ultimate judge, will, and he is watching over us, and I promise never to hurt you again. That was Mizpah. And then he moves from there, farther south, on closer to home. And last week, we looked at another memorial, the third, chapter 33. We saw it, verse 20, El Elohi Israel. <laughs> I love this one. Here he, he's running again. Not so much from Laban, there's somewhat of an understanding there, but he's running, he's still afraid of a 27-year-old offense with his brother. He knows the farther south he goes, the closer he gets to Edom, where his brother Esau lives. And did you know in 27 years, they had not ever had a meeting where they solved things. Closer he gets to where he needs to be, God is pushing him back to Bethel where he belongs. But as soon as he gets closer to Bethel, he knows that his brother, who lives very close to Bethel, not far away, past the Dead Sea a little bit, is hearing that he's getting close. It's hard to hide an entourage of all the livestock. and all. By now he has 11 children, one, and, and, excuse me, 11 sons and one daughter, and all kinds of crops and and the servants, it's a big, a big group of folks that are moving south. And Esau heard about it and sends 400 men to meet his brother Jacob. Jacob is terrorized inside about this meeting. And they meet. And little wily Jacob, the schemer, the, has figured out a way that somehow he's going to send gifts ahead of him to pacify his brother Esau so that his brother won't kill him. And so he sends, first of all, groups of, of, of Leah's family. <laughs> first of all, his, his handmaiden's family, and then Leah's family, and then finally, Rachel's family, which by that time was simply Rachel and Joseph. And he, brave Jacob, hides at the back of the pack hoping that if they're going to kill anybody, they get to me last. What a man. And as he's meandering up and down the creek or the stream, the ford called Jabak, Jabak, Jacob, Jacob, has a, an encounter with God himself who is manifested in the form of an angel. And this angel wrestles with Jacob all night. And finally, somewhere in the middle of the fight, Jacob understands, this is God I'm wrestling with. And so grasping him with his last bit of strength, he says, bless me. I don't want to let you go until you bless me. The angel, God himself, touches the hip, withers the sinew around the hip, and there's a new Jacob that emerges from that wrestling match. He's limping now as he meets his brother out on the 
plains by the river or the creek known as Jabbok. And there he meets Esau. The tears flow. There's reconciliation. And he understands there at that memorial that he establishes there. El Elohi Israel. After that meeting, he's, he's saying to everybody in his family, this God, this mighty God is my God. And he's the one that undertakes for me. He's the one that does accomplish his promises. I don't have to scheme anymore. And the third memorial is that God undertakes. Did you know, beloved, it is not your hand gripping God that makes the difference. It's God holding your hand. Often, my grip on God becomes weak, failing. And yet God has promised never to leave nor forsake me just as he promised to Jacob. It is not your grasp on God that causes you to persevere. It's God's hold on you. He will never allow anyone to pluck you out of his hand. And Jacob is slowly realizing that I don't have to figure it out. If God promised that he will be with me, he will. If God promises to bring me back to the land, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to deceive. I don't have to hide. God has promised. What has God promised to you? That he would never leave you or forsake you. God has promised to supply your needs. God has promised to be your guide even unto death and beyond that eternity with him. God has made tremendous promises that he who began a good work in you will complete it. You don't have to try to outsmart the enemy. God has already done that. And we don't live in order to gain the victory. We live from victory accomplished at the cross. Christ took all of our sin. He bore it upon himself. And we don't have to try to wash up ourselves. God has done the work there. He is the one that has done everything he's promised to do. There has not failed one word of all of his promise. And there never will. And Jacob, limping now to meet his brother, understands that he is weak and God is strong. That God undertakes. God undergirds. God holds up those that trust in him. I don't know what you're going through, but I know one thing. God has promised to you. Live, on those pro- live by the faith in the word of God. Quit trying to figure your way through. Just surrender to him. Say, Lord, I, I don't know what the future holds, I don't, but I know you hold it. The God that was and is and ever shall be is the God that holds our hand in the midst of all this. So God is El, Elohi, Israel. The mighty God is undertaking for me. What a great place, what a great memorial that is to the self-reliant Jacob, the self-protecting, the self, uh, really the self-promoting Jacob. He is beginning to learn, and here he is, Already about 120 years of age, he's beginning to learn that God is strong enough. God can hold you. He is humbled, now more dependent than ever, and he cries out, of course, at that wrestling match, Lord, bless me, 
You're the one that blesses, so bless me before you go. So there's the, there's the memorial there that God undertakes. Jacob, I've called you. I've promised to be with you. I've promised to bring you back. I will protect you from your brother Esau, and I will make of you a great nation. I will accomplish at my word everything that I've promised to do. Don't worry. Are you worrying this morning about something? And you're a Christian? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What are you worried about? Concerned about? What do you, what do you hold on to that's bigger than your God? He undertakes for you. God overrules, God oversees. Jacob, never forget, I undertake. It is God whose hand you're holding, and while your grip on him may loosen, his grip on you never will. Uh, the reason we need to remember this is because fear always rises when forgetfulness reigns. Let me say that again. Fear always rises when forgetfulness reigns. It's Mother's Day. Mother's Day. So mom, uh, mother, or as we say in the South, mama, take me often to the memorials in your life. Take your children often to the place where you have seen God work in the past be that kind of a mother who says, children, look, look here at this memorial. God overrules and God oversees and God undertakes for you. Never forget that. But Jacob isn't done building memorials. We see two, the text before us and quickly, let's just look at them as our time is running out. Two more in the space of 20 verses. We've read them at Bethel. Uh, of course, we saw him originally understand that God's promise to him. He's overruling in all the wicked ways of his family. God was overruling. We see him raising these memorials that God oversees and God under, undergirds and, and upholds. And here we see two things happening uh, as we get to... Uh, uh, this chapter, chapter 35, God said to Jacob, Rise, go to Bethel, and this time I'm asking you to make there an altar that uh, to, to me when I appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau thy brother. Uh, chapter 34, I've done a hot air balloon over. It is the sordid story of Dinah and her curiosity to go visit the Canaanite uh, land or city of Shechem where they had stopped. And Jacob, uh, bless his heart, is slowly dragging his feet to where God wanted him to be. He's not in a hurry. It's taken him seven years, seven years to get from Haran back to Bethel. And he's not there yet. He spent some time in Shechem, around Shechem, which is an evil Canaanitish city. It's located within the borders of Palestine. But there, his daughter Dinah has a curiosity about the ways of the Canaanitish women. She takes a field trip by herself there and gets forcibly raped. And in response to that, and aren't you glad God, when he writes the Bible, doesn't sugarcoat it? He tells it like it is. The story of Jacob is not an ideal story, but while she's away, she's raped. And the brothers hear about that. And they not only respond, they overreact. 
And they, through again a deceptive plan, end up massacring every male in Shechem. And at the end of chapter 34, just by way of catching up to 35, Jacob looks at his boys and says, You have made my name to stink. It's odious around here because your overreaction to what happened. It was horrible what happened to your sister. But you have over-responded, and you have made my name uh, infamous around here. He moves farther. In fact, the chapter 34 ends by this, this response to their dad. Should these people, uh, literally the, the town inhabitants, the men of Shechem, Shechem, deal with our sister as with a prostitute or a harlot? And you can see there's tension in the home. And here God nudges Jacob, chapter 35, I want you to go. And get closer to where I want you to be. (laughs) I want you to go to Bethel, which is near Beersheba, the area of Jerusalem. It's all right there. That's where I want you to be. Parents, there was a costly lesson in chapter 34. Uh, Lot learned it as well. Be careful about taking your family and living. One, One thing to travel past or by, but living in areas where... The corrupting influences will have a destructive effect on your family. Be careful about camping out too close to the Canaanites. It cost, it cost, Dinah perhaps never was able to have a viable marriage after that. It was such a horrible experience. Well, the Lord says, I want you to leave and go where I want you to go. Go to Bethel. Chapter 35, make an altar to God. Remind yourself again of your calling in life. It's been nearly 30 years, Jacob, and I want you to get back to the land that I promised to bring you back to. And We see there this response of Jacob. I think this is what I like about this last memorial or two. It teaches us that God redeems our story. I'm glad he he does. I mentioned it earlier how God takes your story and mine with all of its ups and downs, its failings, its sin, and makes it a a beautiful reflection of His grace. We're going to see that, especially in the life of Rachel. But he stops. He stops his family in verse 2 of chapter 35. He turns and faces them. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you. And be clean, this is a ceremonial cleansing, change your garments literally. This is what he does, he stops, he turns around and says, God has called me to go back now to Bethel where this all started. I want you to know something, family, Bethel means, can you remember what it means? It means the house of God. And there we're going to see the God that sees all, that knows what's hidden in your tents and in your hearts. He sees the fetishes that you're hiding, and by now he knows that his own wife, Rachel, is the proponent of this. At least she is duplicitous in her worship. She has guarded her daddy's figurines from Chaldea, the little false Babylonian gods that were supposed to bring family blessing and good luck. It's a superstitious thing. And 
He knows by now that in the camp are more than just her little guarded fetishes and the earrings that symbolize this false worship. Somehow these earrings themselves had pictures on them, symbols of gods that were false. And he's going to the house of God in Bethel and he's He's looking at his family saying, hey, it's time before we go to that place where God cannot abide disloyalty and seize our hearts that we have a time of cleansing at the church. There's an ordinance God has given us in the New Testament called the ordinance of communion or his table where he asks us to look at our hearts. And this is kind of an Old Testament reflection of that. He stops and says, God has called us, and this is a sacred place and a sacred moment, and we're going to stop right here. And he, the, really the priest of his household, looks at everybody and says, I want all of you to go ahead right now and bring out of your possessions anything that smacks of Babylon, any false god. I want you to take the earrings that are symbols of your love and affinity for the false gods. I want you to change even the clothes that are in some way, commentators believe, connected to this form of false worship. I want you to change those and change your heart. Bring them here. And it's really not an oak tree. I know that some of the translations have the oak in there, some of the older ones. It's a terebinth tree. Oak is not native at all to that part of the world. And and yet he says, I'm going to dig a big hole right here by this tree. The, the, the tree, the tree of cleansing. <clears throat> he says, we're going to God's house, and I want you to bring every little thing that does not in any way promote godliness, and I want you to come and bury it right here. I have a picture in my mind of that ceremony. Can you see him as they have this sanctifying time of confession? Here they come, one by one. Hidden gods, Martin Luther said, your heart is a factory of idols. I wonder what you would have brought or what you should bring to the terebinth tree of confession. Remember, we're all sitting so piously in God's house today. But I wonder how many godlets came with you as he stood above them or around in front of them officiating the ceremony, I wonder what came that day. Idols and figurines, jewelry, pictures of false deities, clothing that spoke of loyalties to false gods, the ways of Canaan or Chaldean ways. Taxi drivers in Brazil have a little patron saint. Marcus spoke of some of the Catholic ways and Fatima was supposed to that little saint that little goddess is supposed to bring safety to the taxi drivers in Brazil. It didn't work a bit. But every one of us, perhaps, have some superstition that we rely on, some little god that we trust. Oh, we don't call him that. I wonder if we should plant a terebinth tree in our front courtyard here at the church and ask you to throw your... Your phone fetishes away, your TV fetishes, your novel fetishes, your sports fetishes, your weekends are mine fetishes before we come into the doors and worship the God of very gods, the King of kings and Lord of lords. How many of us 
drag with us spiritually false gods, and God knows our hearts. So he says, we're going back to Bethel. We cannot arrive there with gods that are not gods at all. Jacob wanted nothing more to arrive at Bethel, holding on to nothing more than a desire to be blessed by God, to know God, and to love Him. It is with that simplicity of heart and worship that God expects us to come before Him. Right now, I wonder what's dividing your heart and mind. As I'm preaching, where is your mind? What are you looking forward to the most? What are you anticipating the most? What are you living for? So there, he has this confession time. And there is this cleansing time that is so important before they got to Bethel. They traveled on to Bethel. We see the altar rebuilt there, perhaps, verse 7. They built an altar and called it El Bethel, God, the, God, the house of God, the place where God lives. It is there not too long after that that Rebecca's handmaid, Deborah, passes away and they bury her at the tree of weeping or mourning. And then, moving only a few miles south, it's only a short distance from Jerusalem, Bethel, that area, down to Bethlehem or the city of Ephrath, Bethlehem of Ephrath. There is where Rachel goes into labor with her second son. It's hard labor. And medicine not being what it is today, in the childbirth, I'm sure there was a lot of blood loss and she ended up losing her life because as she was bringing her second son into the world, her midwife, verse 17, said, Fear not, Rachel, thou shalt have this son also. It came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoi or Benoni, and his father called him, No, don't call him the son of sorrow, call him the son of my right hand. How he loved Rachel, and as she passed away, no doubt, he wanted to remember her influence and raised a pillar there at her gravesite. He remembered uh, the joy of his espousals with her. Genesis 29 says of her, she was beautiful to him in form and in face. In fact, as he recalled, and I'm sure any time there's this transition from one life to the next, eternal life, I know this is true because I've officiated at a lot of funerals and I've seen the memories that bubble up and I'm sure he remembered the spring in his step. Hebrew literally says his feet were lifted up when he met Rachel at the well in Haran. And the Bible also reminds us in that meeting he fell madly in love with her at first sight. I won't ask you men how many of you fell in love at first sight with your wife. And, and yet he did with Rachel. And he wept. <laughs> he wept when he met her. 
He always loved her most. So he puts this stone of remembrance upon her grave. He remembered her desperation. She was not, folks, she was not a perfect wife, nor was she a perfect mother. He remembered perhaps with some sweet bitterness that desperation in her voice when she cried out to him, Give me children or I die. He remembered that. He remembered her many oft discussions and arguments and bitterness at her sister Leah or how many children Leah was having. And finally, when Joseph was born, do you know what, he, what she named Joseph? The first of more to come. <laughs> she, she named Joseph, may the Lord add more. It's Mother's Day today. Did you know again that Rachel wasn't a perfect mom? I know she wasn't. We could focus on Rachel's faults. We could focus on our own faults, couldn't we? Sometimes there's guilt on Mother's Day. I'm just not the mom I should have been. We could think about her theft of her father's gods, her, her really, you know, fighting with Jacob about her own infertility, her anger with her sister, her deception and bitterness with her dad who didn't treat Jacob right. I want us all to remember something that God says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 35, wisdom is justified by all her children. Benjamin was born when mama died, but Joseph was given a few years with his mother, Rachel. Joseph, remember the verse? Wisdom is justified by all her children. I don't know how many times there were fights and bitterness in that home. I don't know how bad the arguments became between her and her sister, Leah, in a polygamous situation. I don't know. The Bible gives us a hint about that. But I do know that wisdom is justified by her children. Joseph. Joseph. You know anything about Joseph? No, Rachel wasn't a perfect mom. Neither are you, moms. But look at this. Little Joseph. Do you know of Joseph? Is one of the few people in all the Bible that God has no unkind words about. Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph was her firstborn, Rachel. And I've got to look at Joseph and think that Rachel had a wonderful, formative influence upon his life. Joseph, of course, went to Egypt and was the slave there that resisted the temptation to be immoral that went on to lead that country through a great famine and bring the people of Israel there and then back again. That man, Joseph, was Rachel's boy. Mothers, don't get tripped up too much about the time you didn't say what you needed to say or forgot. some. Maybe you forgot one of your children at the mall. I hope that didn't happen. Or the things you didn't do, but look into the eyes of your children and understand that your influence has a generational effect. I watched Nathan graduate yesterday. 
I don't know where he got his height from. It wasn't from me. I don't know where he got his smarts from. It wasn't from me. But as I looked at Whitney, looked at Ethan, looked at Nathan, I looked at my wife and said, you must have done. You must have done something right. And as Jacob knelt at that grave marker where Rachel died, I'm sure he said, Rachel, look at Joseph. You must have done something right. Ladies, excuse me, you don't know what it is. Your children will tend to look at your life graciously and gracefully if there is a consistent pattern of God loving in your life. And that, that will be the thing that holds them in place spiritually. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.